for drinks at a swanky Asian fusion New York City restaurant. We were only anointed through him painting NYC red. But we are also oath, and that is a bond that is hard to break, so much so that sometimes I wish that my oath friends would not tag me on some of those pictures from the early 90s because drama people are quite funny in pictures. But as I was preparing for this message today, I was thinking back to my time and how, how even though I didn't feel like I quite fit in at my college and even though I felt like I couldn't be my full self in so many places, but I could with these people, I was thinking back to a skit that we did. So when you're part of a traveling drama team, here's what you do. You uh, visit all the youth groups in your neighbor, in your community, and when you live in a city like Springfield, Missouri, that's the hub of the Assembly of God, there are a lot of youth groups for you to visit too. You visit senior homes, and you, anywhere basically where somebody can stop and pay attention to you, act a big fool for the Lord, you kind of go there. So we had a lot of practices and we had a lot of skits, but there's this one kind of duo of skits that was kind of like our, like our one-two punch that we always did. And the duo of skits was family of God, super touching testimony in between, see me, notice me, tell me that you love me. If we did that, we knew that some people were going to come to Jesus that night. So we did Family God, and I'm going to tell you about this skit because I felt like it was so appropriate for what we're going to talk about today, how to build a culture of family in our church. So Family God starts off, and I, and I had the lead. I mean, I'm kind of a big deal around, but not really. <laughs> but I had the lead, and so um, and I think I got the lead because I, of, of our group, had, was so willing to make a huge fool of myself. Um, because the lead was somebody who was the textbook definition of awkward. So family God starts off, these people walk in, you're assuming it's depending on the setting we're in, if we're doing to a big church, we are a small church. If we're doing it to a youth group, we're a youth group. So we kind of contextualize it. And everybody walks in and um, they're starting to set up for church. And then here I am, all awkward as I want to be, come walking in, and I am as I'm loud, I'm a close talker, um, I'm like, hallelujah, Lord, all in people's faces. I am as spiritual, I am a, a, obnoxiously spiritual. Somebody will say, bless you, and I'm like, no, God bless you. It was fun because family God was like one of those times where we kind of knew where we were going, but we had a lot of space to improvise. And so if we knew that the group needed the people that we were, uh, the the group that we were uh, performing for, if we knew that they needed a good laugh, I would just overblow it. I would just be awkward and tripping and falling and, or if they needed like, you know, to really like feel touched, I would, you know, be really introspective. Like, I just love the Lord. It was really fun. You can tell I really got into drama in college. Um, but the thing that made Family God matter in that beginning setup was how everybody treated, oh, awkward as I want to be me. Some people kind of rolled their eyes, and other people talked about her behind her back, and other people, like, gave her wide berth. And the whole time, awkward as I want to be me, is trying to connect with these people, trying to make sure that they see her. And so the pastor comes in and he preaches on something very quickly, like 30 seconds about, we are the family of God and we need to take care of each other. Ironic, right? Because all these people were not treating awkward as I want to be me like family. And so he gets up and says, let's sing a song. And when I tell you guys that this is the most Southern song that I've ever sang on a stage, 
I am not lying. The Coors has this really thick twang that says, I am so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. And we had to sing it with that twang. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And so we sing that part. And while I'm like throwing my hands in the air and being all twangy and being all awkward, the people are tying my shoes and pulling my chair back or hiding my purse or doing some sort of trickster thing behind me. And so the pastor says, okay, let's sit down and let's take the offering. And I sit down and the big climax is I fall and I tumble and everyone laughs. And so the pastor kind of just like helps me get up and I fix my shoes. And then he says, okay, well, there's food in the fellowship hall. Let's go. And we leave and I'm trying to chase after them because still awkward as I want to be me, wants to be seen, wants to connect. And they leave and I have to end the scene singing that twangy song with tears falling down my face and seen. But we always did Family of God every single time we got up in front, every time we had to perform, because for us as Oath, that was a key core value for us. We knew how special and how important it is to find people who you love, who know you, who see you. And we also deeply believe that God wanted that for his church. God wanted his people to be identified as those who create family, who see the awkward, who make space for the close talker. And so that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to reimagine the church as family? And how can we tap into that core value in the ways that we gather here and connect with each other, in the ways that we think about embodying the love of Jesus when we go out in the world? What does it mean to have a culture of family? And what, if anything, does peace, or as I like to say, God's shalom, have to do with that? So I'm going to we're going to talk a little bit about family. I'm going to give us, we're going to look at scripture, God's dream for us to be family to each other in our community. Then I'm going to share a testimony because like I said, our one-two punch, family of God, testimony, see me, notice me. So I'm going to share my testimony and then we're going to close with a prayer exercise to help us remember that we are family. So if you're down for that, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that through you we are siblings. Thank you that we can get through any conflict, any confusion, any anxiety, any joys together as family. Thank you for this alternative way of being that catches the eye of a world that desperately needs to know, do you see me? Do you notice me? Will you tell me that you love me? Thank you for my friends here. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I don't usually love to use the message when I preach, um, but I so love how Eugene Peterson um, translated Ephesians 2 so much because it speaks directly to this core value that we as a church have of being, of being family um, and helps us imagine how we can foster a culture of family in our church. So if you'll follow along on the screen behind me, we are going to be in Ephesians 2, and we're going to go all the way through verse 22, but it's going to be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. 
didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we are, so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a, a new home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as our cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Amen. So when Paul is writing this, he's writing uh, to a church that is trying to understand how to live multiculturally and at peace with each other. The Jewish members are worried about their rules and their traditions and the things that made them essentially Jewish just being tossed to the side, all willy-nilly, just laid back, grace upon grace upon grace. They're not sure what that looks like for them. The non-Jewish members are trying to figure out their place in this new community that has some new rules and has some new expectations and has some new ways of being that they just don't quite know how they fit in. They don't know how to take the culture that they have and make it work. There's also people who, are, who have traditionally been thought as unclean or that they just don't fit in, who are now rushing to the cross and now rushing to the community of Jesus because, because of the way Jesus lived his life in such a way that countered every single one of those mores in a way that made space for everybody on the outside. Jesus went to those on the margins, and now here's a church full of people on the margins, and they're not sure what that looks like. And so... This picture that Paul is giving us is a picture of the church as an alternative community, a picture of the church as family that is made brothers and sisters because of what Christ did on the cross, one that can bear the weight of multi-cultures and multi-expectations and, and fears because the survival of this community doesn't rely on either one of those cultures or anybody else's tradition becoming the dominant one. Because through Jesus, we have a new culture. One that is built on the love that is displayed on the cross, and one that brings us our peace, both peace to the insider and peace to the outsider. 
And this is what happens when the church looks like family. We create a space where it can hold so many different expectations and experiences and stories and cultures and hopes and dreams. And it says, you belong here. And that seems so counterintuitive for us. When we come into a space with our own traditions and and our own way of being, and we think that's the right way to be because that's the way it's always worked for me. We come into a new space and that's being challenged. We think, we don't know what happens. But the cool thing about the church is that when we come together, we get to create something new. We get to live into the new thing that Jesus made, a third culture. And I like to say that this third culture is the culture of shalom. In my book, I say that shalom is the culture of the kingdom of God. And shalom is this Hebraic concept, which if you heard any TCRI preach, we've said it a couple times, but it's this idea of God's dream of nothing missing, nothing broken, everything made whole. If you think back to the garden, to the intimacy, to the love, to the belonging, to the seeing each other as you truly are, that is shalom. And so when we come together as a church, we're looking at that picture and saying, how can we embody that love, that connection, that realness that was in the garden right here, right now? And we do it because of Jesus. We do it because of the way he lived his life. And so when, we're, so when the scripture is talking about peace, and we sing this every week, our benediction is, may the peace of God live in us. When we talk about peace, we're saying May the dream that God has for us to be our whole selves, to be our real selves, nothing missing, nothing broken, that we're flourishing and vibrant, that we're firing on all cylinders, both spiritually and physically and emotionally, may that live in us and may we create that for others. These kind of things happen only in family. Because God is a relational God, and because in the garden we see this beautiful relationship, it makes total sense for us to be thinking about our flourishing, us seeking peace and living into the peace of God through relationships. And that is why our culture of family is so important to us. And so I want to tell you about how a couple helped me live into God's shalom for me. Help me be my full, whole self. Help me know that I belong. Help me see the good work that God is doing in my life and wants to do through me and encourage me to live into that. So if you look on the screen, there's a picture of a couple. Their names are Mickey and Missy. Mickey and Missy were were a couple. I'll wait for it to come up. (laughs) <laughs> Do you see, is there a picture of a, of a, of a, guy, and a, a guy and a lady? I'm just giving away everything. There we go. This is Mickey and Missy. So when I came to faith, I came to faith uh, in a church. I was about five years old. And um, I started going to this church because my mom put me in vacation Bible school and uh, needed me to... Uh, be someplace <laughs> while she was working. And so I started going to this vacation Bible school. And this church that was hosting it had uh, a van that would pick all the kids up. And Mickey, the guy in the picture, was the van driver. 
And he would pick me up, and, and I, I'm not sure how it worked out. I mean, it's God, obviously, but I was always, almost always the first pickup or the last pickup. So we had a lot of time in the car alone together. And he would ask me questions about my life and ask me, you know, what my favorite thing to do was. And he just paid a lot of attention to me. My parents are great parents, and my background, my, my family of origin, there's a lot of good in it, but there was a lot of dysfunction in my home. And so I was looking for somebody to see me. I'm the oldest of four kids, and so I naturally take care of people. And I was looking for someone to take care of me. And because my mom was very passionate about working outside the home and being her own self, and um, she wasn't home a lot. And so I didn't really have an opportunity to build a really close relationship with my mom when I was younger. And so there was this part of me that wanted to know, like, why do I exist? Who do I belong to? And so Mickey noticed that. He saw that. And so he would start, he would pick me up and he would pick up donuts on his way to pick me up. And so we would eat donuts and he would ask me like what my favorite donut is. And the next time there'd be my favorite donut in the car. And, and so he would pay special attention to me. And then I would go to the vacation Bible school and I decided I really loved that church. So I started going to that church and Mickey was like, my wife will pick you up in the morning. I, I, he, was a, he was a deacon. He was like, I have to be here really early, but my wife can pick you up. And this was amazing to me that this couple actually talked to each other and said, this person matters. Somebody will come pick her up. And so Missy started picking me up. Same sort of thing. There was always a donut in the car for me. If Missy had to be there early, she would pick me up and I would serve right alongside her, putting together the snack or putting together, she worked in the children's programming, so putting together the busy bags or the, or the curriculum for that day. But because of this couple taking a special interest in me, I knew that I belonged. And so I started going to that church and I got baptized in that church and I received my first calling to, to preach and teach in that church. Mickey and Missy became so special to me that when my mom was looking at moving out of the country for a job, I went to them and said, I don't want to leave. I want to finish high school. Can I live with you? And they said, sure. Because our relationship had flourished to the point where I was going to their house after school on Friday, spending the whole weekend with them. We were Pentecostal, so we had church twice on Sunday, y'all. We did it up. So we would go to church on Sunday morning. Then we would go home, eat, eat lunch. I would nap in their guest room change my outfit because you don't go to church in the same outfit. You don't do that. And go to church in the evening with them and they would take me home. But our relationship progressed. There was a time when I was about 16 years old that I was feeling really disconnected from my dad and I was struggling in my relationship with him. And I went to church one Sunday night and we were worshiping and the pastor stopped the service and he said, I'm just feeling like there's some of our, our girls in our youth group who need to know that a father sees them, that they're having a hard time wrestling with their dad, and they're not feeling like, like a man loves them and cares for them in a, in a healthy, good way that a man should. And so I, I, want if, I want the girls and the youth, if any of you feel like that, if you need a man in the church to remind you of the goodness of God our Father, come step forward. And patriarchy and egalitarianism and all that aside, I really needed to know what does God look like as father. And so I stepped forward and I was standing there and I was so, so insecure because I was one of the only black people in this church. So I had no idea if anybody would come and pray for me and lay hands on me and, and tell me 
what it looks like to think about God as our father. And so the pastor then ups the ante. So we're all standing there weeping because you don't go down to the Pentecostal altar without weeping. We're all standing there weeping. And he ups the ante and says, if you're going to come up here and pray for one of these girls, I want you to commit to being a part of her life. I want you to commit to loving her the way God has loved you as a father. And I'm like, dude, nobody, like what? So I'm standing there and I'm so nervous. And Mickey comes up and he lays his hands on me. And he says, he says something to the effect of like, I can be that for you. I can be that for you. And so he prays for me. And that was the beginning of a new turn in our relationship. They used to be this really great couple who was a mentor to me, who loved me who invited me out for weekends with them. Missy and I went antiquing all the time. Mickey tried to get me to hunt, but I don't get down with guns, so no. But they then, in that moment, became my, my parents. So much so that I wouldn't marry TC until they signed off. So much so that I didn't choose a college until they sat with me and went over the options. So much so that when I was about to leave, Mickey did like the quintessential dad thing. He opened up the map because this was before Google Maps. He opened up the map and he said, so you can go this way, but I'm worried about you taking this way because it it goes around this, it goes far out and I don't know if you can find gas and I'll be worried about you for several hours, so why don't you take this way? Mickey and Missy became my parents so much so that when my dad refused to give me away, Mickey walked me down the aisle. I think we have a picture of Mickey walking me down the aisle. And and as I was getting out of the limo and Mickey was helping me get situated and waiting for my cue, he leaned over to me and said, I'm not sure that you know this, but Missy and I had trouble getting pregnant. We were never able to have kids. And I had given up on any opportunity to walk a woman down the aisle, walk my daughter down the aisle. But this is an honor for me because I love you like a daughter and you're giving me a gift. You're blessing me by letting me be a part of your life. This is the beauty of family. That as they saw me and loved me and included me and made me their daughter, I got to see them and love them and include them and call them my parents. And this is the dream that God has for us when we think about building a culture of shalom when we think about building a culture of family. There's one thing that I want us to look at from theologian N.T. Wright before I close and talk about the power of being a family. And I think it's really appropriate for us right now as we're lamenting the loss of our 14 children of immigrants due to our administration's fear of the other. N.T. Wright says, what Jesus has done to make and declare peace Peace is, what Jesus has done is to make and declare peace. Peace is one of the best loved words in the world, especially if you're a refugee or an asylum seeker. Often it must seem as though the world has gone mad. Many people escape from a war with nothing except the clothes they stand up in, only to find that the country where they arrive regards them with suspicion, hostility, and even hatred. It's a wonderful thing to discover that peace has been declared. It's even better to know that it affects everybody, including those who have come a long way off and those who live near at hand. This is the gospel message announced. Gentiles and Jews alike are now at home in the same family. This Jew and Gentile alike being at home as the same family 
as it's, it's something common. It, we see it in our literature. We see it in our media. There's, it's, it's a common trope called, called found family or family of choice. And this is what the church can look like. We can be a found family for so many people. And like I said, if we think about it, we've seen this before. We've seen it in our media. I'm going to share with you some of my favorite because found family is basically a ragtag group of people who come together, create a family, and in doing so, make the world a better place. And is that not what we just saw in Ephesians? We saw Paul say, you are a ragtag group of people trying to figure it out. Come together, be a family, and make the world a better place. So here are some of my favorites. The first is the Scooby Gang from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> the next one is Maine Six from My Little Ponies. Friendship is magic, y'all. And Dumbledore's Army. These are people who didn't fit in in some way, who noticed an injustice in their world and said, we're going to come together and make it better, be it vampire or Voldemort or loneliness alike. Now, I know for some of us, this reimagining the church as a family is a new concept. Um, for some of us, when we think of church, we think, oh, we want to be around like-minded people. I'm a Christian, and I want to be around other Christians. And, and so we look for things on the website like belief structure. We look for buzzwords, or we look to see if the pastor's reading the right kind of books. And this in and of itself is not bad, but this rigidity doesn't leave space for uncertainty or asking hard questions and accepting those who are still processing. So we don't want to be the kind of community that gets ourselves our sense of identity and values from believing the right things, from having all the right answers, from not leaving space for, certain, for uncertainty. Some of us think of, of church as a place where we get the right resources and programming. So maybe you're feeling a little lonely, and that church that has the beer and hymns uh, makes you get out of the house and get to know some people, and hey, they're nice, and hey, it's fun to drink beer and feel holy at the same time, right? And so we attend church because they have all the great, fun social events that we want or like. And this in and of itself isn't wrong either. Scripture encourages us to gather and celebrate, to have feasts and be joyful but overly focusing on the fun we can have with each other and not thinking about the ways we can be missional, getting out there and loving our neighbors can make us very self-centered. And then when we are asked to be missional, then when we are asked to get to know our neighbors, it feels so overwhelming. I didn't sign up for this. I just want the hymn and the beers. And then for some of us, church is a place that has been a part of their family legacy for years. Their parents were in leadership. They got married and baptized in the church. Their great-grandfather built the stone, brick by, built the church brick by brick, stone by stone. There's maybe even a plaque in the fellowship hall. Church is tradition. Church is legacy. Church is an obligation. And when we view church like this, when we view it as this thing that we do on Sunday morning because it's what we've always done, it can't be flexible enough to embrace new people and new ideas. It can't be flexible enough to allow for people who don't look like us or believe like us or who might want to try something new because our community is ever-changing and we want to be a force of peace right now in a relevant and real way. So Roots, as I close, I want us to look at ourselves and look at our stories and think about two things. One, how have we viewed the church as something other than family? 
And then two, who has been family to me and the church? Because Mickey and Missy understood the power of being family to others. They embodied the promise of Psalms that says, God sets the lonely in families. And you and I can do that right here, right now. So we're going to close with a prayer exercise that I have called, In This Family We. It's inspired by those super trendy signs that were going all around Pinterest and the internet a while ago. I've seen them. Um, I, I, one of my favorite things to do in my spare time is to kind of scroll through them and see what makes other families tick. That was a big thing for me and TC. In fact, when he said, I want our family to be a different kind of family than the one we, I was raised in, and I want to be a part of churches that feel like family, this is why we love Roots so much. This is why we, we want to see Roots thrive and flourish, because you guys kind of intrinsically get that church should be family. When he said that, I started paying attention to how other families tick. And so I've seen them as perky as we whistle while we work. This was a Disney-themed family, bless their hearts. Or super geeky, like, in this house, the force is strong with us. Whatever that means, nerds. (laughs) I've seen them as passionate as we do second chances. So like I said, when I'm bored, I like to go through and read these. So what our prayer exercise today as we close is going to be If you um, are sitting near a little sheet of paper, a little note card that looks like this, and you feel so inclined, will you you, uh, pick it up? And I'm going to start us up in a prayer, asking God to help us see how we can be family to each other, how we can make this a community, a safe space for families to thrive and flourish, and then how we can be a family to those on our outside, how we can say, you belong here. You are part of building us up brick by brick, stone by stone, because of what Jesus did. So I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then I'm going to leave some time um, for, for you guys. And if you feel so inclined, will you call out what's on that card, starting with the, in this family, we will, and then read that scripture. And I'm going to leave some time for us to call it out, and as we're calling it out, hear it. And ask God to show you how you can embody that family value that we have. And then I'm going to close this out. Because these things and so much more in scripture that reminds us to love each other, that reminds us that we belong to each other, that reminds us that we are beloved. These things is what's going to make our church thrive and grow. This thing, these things is what's going to make other people notice us and want to be a part of the good that we are building brick by brick, stone by stone. So I'll start us in prayer, and if you feel so inclined, call out what's on the card. (sighs) Father God, Mother God, Parent God, you love us and you see us. To you, we are your children who you delight in. To you, we are your children who you want to flourish. You want us to be our whole selves. You, Jesus, are our Prince of Peace. And we want to live into that peace and let it flow through us because the peace of God matters to this community. And we know that that peace is best shown in the ways that we treat each other and the ways that we think about this community. And so, Lord, help us to have your vision for what family looks like for us. If shalom is the culture of the kingdom of God, then our family business is to get out there and seek the peace for others 
to be peace to each other and then seek the peace of others. So help us do that, Lord. In this time of, of community prayer, Lord, hear our commitment. Hear us say these values and show us how we can commit our lives to them. Let them not be words that we say, but truths that we try to shape our lives around. Because we know that that is what transforms the world. So hear our prayers, Lord.